Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to the Double X Gab Fest for Thursday, December 28th. The Colin Show, which we are so excited about. I love our Colin Show. I'm Hannah Rosen, a host of Invisibilia, and in the New York studios, we have June Thomas, the managing producer of Slate Podcasts. Hi, June. Hey, Hannah. And Noreen Malone, an editor at New York Magazine. Hi, Noreen. Hi, Hannah. Can we do like really quick holiday chatter before we get going? Because I'm actually curious. Are you guys sure. going away? Are you staying? Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm going to tropical Cleveland, Ohio, as always. All right. What about you? Tropical Vermont, where it's minus six degrees. Oh, jeez. <laughs> That's so <laughs> tropical. And you know what I'm doing? I am staying at home. I may not. I may even not leave the house for a number of days. I'm just so excited. Wow. It's going to be so much TV. When we get back, it's going to be like like so much recommendations. I'm excited. <laughs> you know you know the Scandinavian concept of huga? Huga, ha. That's, that's June. I just p- actually like picture you in the winter in Park Slope with like various huga accoutrements. Mm-hmm. <laughs> huga accoutrement and a huga cat. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was Higa or something. I thought it was pronounced Hugga. slightly differently. I've watched Hugga. like eight different YouTube videos on how to pronounce it. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure that I got it, but I have done my research. You did say it smoothly. Like it just rolled right off in your sentence. You didn't even pause. That was impressive. <laughs> so listeners, this is how we do the is it sexist game. Basically, we do this in Slate Plus every week. If you don't listen, you should. It's really fun. And the way we're doing it, this show is a listener asks us a question, and then we each give a rating how sexist on a scale from zero to 10. We add up and divide the numbers, and that's its sexist rating. So let's get going. Let's queue up our first one. Hey, um, I recently went in to get my oil changed at a local um, car oil repair place. And when I was paying, I was kind of confused because it's way cheaper than I thought it would be. And then the gentleman at the counter informed me that it was ladies' night and that I would be receiving a discount on my services. Um, so I was sort of pleased because I saved money. And, um, you know, that's always a plus. But I was also unsure as to whether or not this was sexist. Um, you know, taking care of a car is kind of a traditionally masculine thing. So it's an implication that women would otherwise not be able to do so unless if they received some sort of discount. I don't know. 
All right. Well, thank you guys so much. Bye. I just want to say I spent a lot of time imagining how he said it's ladies' night. <laughs> like, did he mumble like it's ladies' night? Or was he like, it's ladies' night? Like, <laughs> and the feeling's right. Exactly. Oh, what a night. I have never heard of a car wash having a no. ladies' night. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what I'm hung up on. I am... So in favor of ladies' nights in general because, as we all know, we make whatever sense on the dollar, et cetera, et cetera. But a car wash is a Wait, new one. Wait, what? What's that connection? What is sense on the dollar? You mean you're in favor of ladies' nights like discounts? Because Absolutely. That's... We don't make as much money really? as men. Yeah. Anna, come on. Really? Wait, and therefore the the, the, the solution to that is to have ladies <laughs> and, and The solution to that is ladies drink for free, obviously. <laughs> I don't know why feminism hasn't hit on this before. <laughs> That is some good math, Noreen Malone. Can I tell you guys my favorite story about Ladies' Night? This very nice Italian restaurant in um, Cleveland has one on like Tuesday nights or something. And when my brother was single, he would always take his dates there on Tuesday nights and be like, oh, I didn't know about this. Did you know about this? (laughs) (laughs) So they would eat for free. Anyway. What a smart brother. <laughs> All right. So, June, how did you puzzle through this one? Well, I'm I'm very torn because I am aware that, yes, women make less. But, you know, it's not like everybody gets paid equally. There are lots of groups who are paid inadequately and, and on average much less than other groups. And I understand also this concept of price discrimination. I mean, in terms of the economic concept of price discrimination that, like, you've you you choose your pricing at whatever anybody will pay. But I'm very uncomfortable. I'm made very uncomfortable by this because, you know, I, whenever I go into a store and the prices aren't marked, I, I get really uncomfortable because I'm like, are you charging me one price and somebody else more? Are you like, do I pay less because I'm white? Do I pay more because I'm not very attractive? Like, I'm always very made very un- uncomfortable about it. And so... As much as I would certainly not turn down a cheaper, you know, car maintenance, I don't. I'm. I don't like it, and I get the impression from the way the 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 uh, you know the questioner asked this that she also feels very uncomfortable. Like, yes, women get paid less, but we're not the only ones. And I, I just like, and it's not like like when you, when it's a ladies' night in a bar, then you know they do it not because they love you, right. but because they you know heterosexual bars near women, but. So that's like, you know why they're doing it for them. But I don't see what this does for them. I mean, I don't think it's because women get paid less, though. Like, no, I think it's not it's because way... it's not I don't because think that's the logic. it's not because. But we, we're, <laughs> we're taught we're saying why we're willing to accept it. But it's not because that's not why they do it. But yes, yeah, so that is a very feminist car wash. And they <laughs> exactly. one... Wait, first of all, was it a car wash or a garage? Garage, I think. Oh, sorry. It's like, you know, getting your car serviced. Because that's different to me. Like, I thought the reason they were doing it, it's interesting because usually it's really condescending. It's like patronizing, I think, ladies' night in that context. Like, to take a concept designed for bars where, you know, maybe like male-female roles, they're slightly on display at a club in the way there's an assumption built into doing a ladies night in a garage, which is that, you know, ladies feel uncomfortable or this is not a space for ladies. Now, maybe that's nice. Like probably now they're tapping into safe space ideas. Like if you, you're allowed to have like a queer night or like Pakistani students night, but I think it has to come from the ladies or from, from, from the, you know, particular students or whatever who want to hold the night. We don't generally object to people, like, hold, making a space for themselves. It's just, like, the other people making the assumption that 
ladies, it's almost like they're surfacing an assumption that ladies and cars don't go together. And so there has to be a ladies night to make the ladies feel safe. See, to me, the reason that it's not just perfectly fine in the way that like a ladies night is because, yes, it's we know why they're doing it. And it's it's just to bring in more women to even out the gender, you know, just to have women for, you know what I mean, for, for heterosexuals need each other. But um, <laughs> thanks for explaining. <laughs> thanks that. for explaining. That. Did I just straight explain, or did I gay explain? I'm not sure whichever. Um, but as you say, this is not about a space that people themselves are choosing, and it's also like everybody needs to get their car service. Like if you're, if you're, I don't know anything about cars. I'm sorry, I've never driven one. But like if you're widget is what's sitting then you need to go <laughs> to the garage anyway it's not like and maybe yeah you choose that one but the thing that is strange to me is that the our caller didn't know that it was ladies night yes and so that makes me think like was okay was he just like hitting on her that's my yeah. working theory of the case because oh. i think it would have been marketed i think there yeah, would have been right. one of those signs that you know like car repair is one of those very discretionary as june was saying like you can sort of charge whatever you want and usually it's exorbitant but and usually women pay more is that true? I believe so. I mean, just in that way that, like, you just get quoted a price. Yeah. And, you know. Interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think I think whoever, Hannah, you were puzzling over the, his delivery. I, I think mm-hmm. that's vital to our understanding of this. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we don't know for sure. I'm going to say one more thing on this, which is, like, if you are sincere, let's say he wasn't hitting on her, and you sincerely have this idea that women are just queasy about going to the garage, you want to make it nice for them— there's better ways to do that. Yes. Like our nice local bike shop does. They do classes and they don't name them, you know, ladies fix your bikes, <laughs> but they are fix your bike classes. Like there's ways to sort of create a thing, create a space where like if you're feeling like a dummy, you know, we're totally a place that's cool with that. Like, mm-hmm. come, we're not going to treat you like a dummy. There's ways that you can do that without saying ladies night. I don't know. I'd take right. the discount personally. I would too. <laughs> Just to be clear, <laughs> I'd rather have that than feel good about myself. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's give it a number. The concept of ladies nights is an eight. This particular one is just really weird and mysterious and is maybe a nine. <laughs> I'd give it like a six or a seven. It's, it's harmless. It's harmless. It's, it's more harmless than in a bar. Like in a bar, even though I'm in favor of it, it could be sketchy. See, the, but the, the idea that places offer different prices to different people is really like a red flag to me and so that's why I think like I don't mind women paying less but I just don't like the whole notion like let's Mm -hmm. just charge everybody the same okay all right I'm giving it a six so that's a seven average Wait, what did we all say? Sorry. <laughs> See, now, listeners, nine? this is why we have a problem with the math. It's not because we can't do math. We're super smart, and we're certainly not trying to be bad at math. It's just that we're not really paying attention to what each other says, so that's why we can't figure it out. It's because we don't know what, <laughs> what the numbers are. <laughs> but it was nine for June. What did you do, Noreen? She said six I said or six seven. Six or seven. I get whatever helps the math best is what I'll pick. <laughs> I did six, so it's a seven. Okay, get it a seven. Ding. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, 
for the ones who get it done. Hello. I'm wondering, is it sexist that I was super excited to find out that my sister was having a baby girl and that I had kind of hoped for it all along? I tend to rag on my male friends when they are bummed if they don't have a boy, because that just seems like the patriarchy being the patriarchy. At the same time, though, I feel like it could be a long overdue celebration where baby boys have always been prized throughout history. Also, I understand that sex does not determine the gender of the baby, but either way, as a feminist in 2017, I was still just really excited to be an aunt to my sister's baby girl coming here in December. Thanks. Love the show. Noreen. Well, <laughs> yes, I, I had strong opinions on this. Uh, so I have six nephews and one niece, and I love the nephews, but the niece is so fun. Like, it's, and I don't think this is a feminist thing. I, I can't really justify it on those grounds. I, 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 you know, the world is cresting for women right now. Like, the future is bright. I do feel some of that, but mostly it's just like, eh, the games are a little more fun for me. <laughs> just the, the bonding is easier. So I, I totally understand where this caller is coming from. But what's your answer to the question? That's just like your personal thing. Is it, you know, I don't know. She's not really asking, is it sexist? She's well, I think asking, she's yeah. asking, is it feminist, actually? Like, yeah. that that's sort of implied in her question. Um, and I don't think that it's... I think we're trying to, like, uh, you know, <laughs> like a, a, put, a, put a structure on a feeling that isn't necessarily there. Uh, I think it's just... Yeah, I don't think it's feminist. I don't think it's sexist necessarily, but I don't think it's feminist. What do you think, Hannah? I think that you can create a space for personal preference without getting into feminist politics. Like in certain countries and in certain contexts, it's not true. So in countries which still have patriarchal lineage, you know, say South Korea did until some number of years ago, um, it just eliminated it. But this idea that, you know, in divorce, all children go to the dad in which there are sort of deep domestic patriarchal assumptions, then it's a feminist act to wish for a baby girl. Or in situations where like you have some dad who's like, oh, shucks, I only have daughters. I can't wait to have a son so he can inherit the family, whatever. Um, then it's a feminist act to wish for the girl and wish the best for the girl. But I think in general, like we can't eliminate personal preferences, but I don't think you should rag on your guy friends for wanting boys. Right. I don't I don't actually think this is one of those situations where you get to to get to have it both ways. In some situations, you get to like women can behave differently than men because there are things to remedy. But I think like you wish for a girl or you wish for a boy. That's that's it. That's fine. That's cool. Like Noreen wants to have a niece. That's cool. You know, and if if like Another Malone, if boy Malone wants to have a boy child, that's that's not patriarchal, don't you think? We need to give that one up, to yeah. be fair. Do you think, this, this is a total sidebar, do you think we're on our way to America being clearly a matriarchal society? Maybe we should, Dude, maybe we should save that for... <laughs> I'm, I actually really want to talk about that on a show. Wow. Can, we, can we save it? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Okay. You mean that it's like now wishing for the reason this came up to you is because like you because what because you feel like the tables have turned. This is like the end of men argument. Like the tables yeah. have turned. Yeah. And now women rule. Not quite yet. Maybe. And well, I think in in household in a lot of in increasing numbers of 
households, women are sort of in control, and then there are all your men arguments. I don't know. It's a it's an interesting question for us to consider at another time. Yeah, I mean, in my book, I, the fertility statistics were really interesting. How many more? I mean, that's just a contained experiment of a place where you can actually get people's preferences, and people definitely preferred girls. Now, why is that? I don't know. I think it's sort of short sightedness. Like girls are easier in younger years in certain ways, but then sometimes they're not. So. But that was a really flipping know. of the historical, like... Yes, yes, yes. But it's pretty much flipped in America. I don't think there's a sense... Now, listeners, maybe you can object and get mad at me, but I don't think there's a sense that, like, men inherit things more than women. I mean, even in the Trump family, like, you don't have a sense that, like, the men are, are like, wildly favored the sons over the daughters. Like, they, you know, certain sons and certain daughters, but it's not... It's not by the book, but I don't know. Maybe it's preserved in some classes, some parts of society that I don't see where the men, the men, children are vastly favored. June, what do you think is a Brit as from from one of the most primogeniture? <laughs> well, they changed it now so that, uh, you know, the what is it? What the fuck's the first one called? Uh, uh, William. William. Yeah. William's second. Child. <laughs> I was very patriotic. What the fuck's the first <laughs> Yeah, exactly. William's second child's a girl, and she's second in line. Like it's not—they're no longer just going by the male line anymore. But, but really, really, truly, don't care about those people. Her name is Charlotte. Her name is Charlotte. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I yeah. I I also am feeling like it's a personal preference. I don't think we should be hard on ourselves. Like you know, wondering if we're being sexist for having a preference one way or another. I will say though that I'm always glad when a certain kind of men have girl children. I think uh, there are certain kind of men who I think really benefit from really pulling for women. Uh, and so I've had that experience of kind of pulling for a girl because I think this guy just needs to like have this rounder experience of life. Okay, but I find that to be the most annoying defense when men say, oh, oh I'm a feminist now because totally, I have daughters. Totally. And Russell Simmons, when he was, you know, yeah. accused of rape, said, oh, I have daughters and do yoga now. That yeah. was his response. Yeah. Like 100%. I, I, I understand what you yeah, mean. Yeah, I yeah, actually, yeah. I actually do think yeah. like it's kind of knee jerk. People just get allergic to that reaction. Yeah, yeah. It's not an excuse, but it, I do think I do understand what you mean that yeah. that you, at some men, it opens them up to a different. Yeah, one hundred percent. Like it does not immunize them, and it's, it, when certain men still use that, you're, they're proving that they they didn't evolve that much. <laughs> right. Did totally. They? Totally. But yeah, I think it does. It it can be. Uh, a good uh, rounding experience for some men. That's true. Uh, okay, so how are we going to number this one? Are we going to do, is it feminist? Well, I think she really asked, is it sexist to be super excited to find out one sister is having a baby girl? Yeah, I would say it's like a, I'd give it like a three or a four because I suppose it in, you know, it is sexist in some sense, but I think the harm level is so low. Like, yeah, three, three. Yeah. I, I, I'm also going to go with a three because for exactly the same reason, like, there are ways in which we might want to sort of correct and amplify. Uh, and so there might be some kind of, you know, actual reason instead of just like personal preference. But I also like, I'm kind of eh about it. So I'm going to go with three. I'll give it a three, two. So this one's an average of three. Onward. I'm a grad student working on my PhD. And a lot of my male professors suggest having meetings with uh, their male graduate students at bars. Um, they they meet up and get beers and they talk over drinks about, you know, papers that people are working on. They don't invite their female grad students to bars. And I think this is sort of like out of an abundance of caution or sort of not wanting to, uh, you know, offend 
a female graduate student who perhaps would feel weird, but I just sort of wondered if there was something uh, problematic about this sort of opportunity that is available to male graduate students but not female graduate students. So I was sort of just wondering what you guys thought about that. Okay, thanks. I love your podcast. So I guess... It's hard to get into the specifics of this particular situation. We don't know why the professor, you know, chooses to socialize with some people and not others. But generally, I guess the the old underlining question is whether it's sexist for people who have a certain amount of power, whether it's a professor in a graduate school situation or a boss or even a bunch of co-workers to give some people different opportunities by socializing, whether it's going to a bar and talking about ideas over beers or playing golf, or, you know, a long history of different things that people do with only some people in some situations. Well, I think the I think in this situation, the barness of it is actually important. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, in, in recent years, I, I think that um, professors have been uh, made highly aware <laughs> of the potential problems of, you know, sort of being seen to come on or coming on to uh, female students. And I suspect that that might be part of it, right? Yeah, that yeah. like, you know, alcohol can be an accelerant for whatever kind of romantic situation or non-romantic situation. Um, and it seems like, yeah, the, the bar just seems like a particularly fraught environment for this kind of socializing. Yeah. I mean, it is really hard because you don't want to say no more bars because bars are fun and it's really... Like it can be very stimulating when you have that slight, slight, only slight, preferably social lubrication to really, you know, have a good session in a different kind of environment. But it can, it has so much potential to be discriminatory because either like against people who are in recovery or people who live a long way from wherever it is that they want to meet and need to get home or people who have childcare or caregiving duties or people who don't have their own transportation and rely on... Like, there are just lots of ways in which it can be discriminatory to some people. And it would be nice if everybody in a group, like whether that's the people who are this guy's students or, you know, people's direct reports, can all have an equal playing field. But in the real world, that's typically not how things work. But I'm very curious what you think, Hannah. I think it's totally sexist and not that hard to fix. Like I had this one's not a hard one for me. I don't even feel ambivalent. Yes, it is sexist to just invite your male graduate students to the bar. And it's really not like you can't punish women for bringing up sexual harassment scandals. That's ridiculous. Like go to a bar with a male and a female graduate student or invite a few graduate students to the bar. But no, you can't make a practice of just like the the, the outcome of the sexual harassment scandal can't be that, you know, men like create a more clubby world for <laughs> for like mentoring other men and completely exclude women from that world it is sexist or invite a female graduate student to a bar and don't hit on her like talk about other stuff or invite like another female professor with you there's a hundred different options you can do where everybody where like lots of people can can go to a bar without totally segregating I mean at this moment let's say when there even if there's not more male professors which there are than female professors like you just have to recognize that it's slightly tricky at this moment and figure your way out of it. It's not that hard. And so you know? your answer wouldn't be like everyone should get coffee instead of beer? 
Uh, that's one solution is that if you want to invite, you, you know, some people to a bar and some people to a kind of daytime coffee shop, but you can't. So so I'm not saying it has to be the exact same casual interactions, but you can't systematically say, oh, I don't want to be seen as hitting on the women. So I'm only going to take the guys to the bar. You could take a bunch of people to a bar or you could take one person to a coffee shop. There's a lot of different things you can do. Yeah. I mean, but I also like even though I'm the one who brought up coffee, I do think that like the over drink talking about ideas over beers, you you are probably just going to be in a different state of mind than in the coffee, which tends to be a more professional kind mm-hmm. of point of view. So I actually like your original answer quite a bit. Like take everyone to the yeah. bar. That's that's for me. That's the bottom line. Like yeah. it, you have to try and give people equal opportunities. I don't even really like the idea of taking one group this place. That yeah, like, that makes it worse. Almost yeah. like oh, I have to <laughs> yeah. have bright daylight between us. And it really does feel like it's using sexual harassment as an excuse to be even worse. Um, you know, yeah. we, we don't know what, that sexual harassment is the reason that this particular professor has this policy, but it's not a good policy. Yeah. And I think there's going to be a period now where men are going to be paranoid as hell. Like, I mean, you saw it at the holiday parties. It's like, keep your hands in your pocket. Like, I'm 10 <laughs> feet away. And no, I'm not going to get you a drink. It's like, you know, there is we are going to go through that period right now. But then eventually, I mean, I don't know, like if you... I wish I could ask the lady this question, this nice person who called us. Like, if you walked in a bar and you saw a male professor with a female graduate student, I guess we have to also get to a place where we're cool with that and we don't immediately feel suspicious of that. Because they're also, if you want this to be equal, you need to walk into that bar, see that scene, you know, and be all right with it. Mm -hmm. Like, teeny bit of flirtation, maybe. I don't know. Would you always assume that? Like, I don't think I would. The, Society you, would. Really? Like, I don't think I really don't think I would. But you think that's a, that's a sort of a general assumption? Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, I think it depends on the professor, mm-hmm. obviously. But I feel like when, as we figure this out, a lot of things are going to have to change after this sexual harassment moment. Mm-hmm. And that might be one of the things that has to change, that we have to create a space for a reasonably platonic outing between like a man in power and a woman in a a woman who's a subordinate, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that that space can exist in a, in, in this, you know, not even in a gray zone, like that space can exist because that's the world we live in today where that's how you bond with someone. Right. You know? Right. So the question is, is it sexist that the the professor takes only the male graduate students to the bar? For me, that's like Like 10. 10. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Consensus. Okay, next. Oh, my question is, are lockers, as in lockers used in the gym, um, sexist? And the reason why I'm asking is because when I went to college, uh, I used the college gym. Um, Then I came back from school one year and uh, went to go use the lockers that had recently been replaced in the women's room. And I all of a sudden could touch the top shelf, which I could not do before. Uh, I had to get up on my tippy toes to get my things and make sure I hadn't left anything behind. Uh, no, I'm five foot two, which is not super tall, but it's also not off from the average height of a woman in North America. And it just dawned on me in that moment that, you know, you know, we don't grow lockers. Lockers don't come off the locker tree. They're built by people. And holy cow, like lockers, grocery shelves, the kitchen pantry where I try to like grab the spices and, and food. I can't reach them, or I can barely reach them. So maybe it's not just lockers, but, like, anything with a shelf in general, are they sexist? 
Thank you. This blew my mind. <laughs> yeah. Shells are sexist. I, I hadn't even really thought of it before, but they are. Oh, I love this person. <laughs> like, shelves are motherfucking sexist. This is like air conditioning, reprise of air conditioning, the patriarchy. They control the air and they control the infrastructure. <laughs> Do we have the water? <laughs> Do we have oceans? <laughs> we keep the oceans. <laughs> so sexist. I never thought of it. I was like, yeah, look, there's an average height of a man and an average height of a woman. Why is everything built that I can't reach it? Like, I just accepted that I have to be like, hey, man, usually my husband, sometimes now my son, could you get that thing for me? But why do I have to do that? That just reinforces the idea that I'm, I'm helpless and vulnerable and I don't want that. Totally. So like fuck those shelves. And when you go to the grocery store and the paper towels are on the high thing and you have to sort of stand there and wait for an employee or like take the stupid arm yeah. or it's just it's embarrassing. Although I do love taking taking control of the arm. I don't know mm-hmm. if, if this is a, a New York bodega thing, but, <laughs> you know, in New York bodegas where they have to stuff a lot of things into a small space, they have things in really high shelves and and they have a kind of an extension arm that they use to grab it, and you hope that it will not fall on top of you. And hope no, it always does. It always <laughs> does, but hopefully it's a paper towel and not a bottle. Um, I always do like to, you know, if, when it's a bodega owner that you've got, you know, an, an, an understanding with, they'll sometimes let you use the arm, and that's really exciting. What other infrastructure is sexist? Well, I was wondering before, can I just ask, like, in supermarkets, uh-huh. you know, everything is so finely calibrated and, mm. and market tested where mm-hmm. they put every product and the products at eye level pay extra or however it works. They surely must have figured this business out, like the average height of a woman. And because it's mostly, I'm sure in America, it's, you know, majority people doing food shopping as women or supermarket shopping. So so don't you think they've shelved this out? And what do they put on the top shelf? I like think- the so in supermarkets <laughs> rather than bodegas, it feels like this top shelves they use for like overstock that they're not you're not really shopping up there. It's more in mm-hmm. bodegas and stuff. Or but maybe, I, I don't go to supermarkets much. So I don't. Maybe know. it's all the hamburger helper and like <laughs> single man food on the Ooh. top. Uh, but like suburban uh, supermarkets, I can definitely reach the paper towel. You're right. They have they have thought that through. Yeah. The matriarchy yeah. has extended to supermarkets. <laughs> <laughs> But what other infrastructure is sexist? I'm thinking, as you say, that are elevator buttons sexist? Not really. They're usually low down. Well, what about um, drinking fountains? I feel like drinking fountains always are an awkward height. They're either too low or too high for me. Mm-hmm. And I am the average height of an American woman. So I think I bring no, some totally expertise. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're sexist. They're super sexist because you have to end, you, you have to do the kitty fountain. Like me, usually, like at the airport, I have to use the one that's for the children. Me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's another way they're trying to keep me down. But you know, the lockers, their locker room shelves do seem exceptionally sexist rather than just, you know, ambient shelves. Because, I mean, it's a room that's made for women. Like, you don't put urinals in women's locker rooms. So, why do you put tall lockers in women's locker rooms? Like, it's just weird to me. Like, this is really to the barricades. This is not just like, oh my goodness, we need to address this over time. This is like, let's just stop recording now and get out there and just pick it okay but airplanes i think airplanes are more built for us oh interesting like you know you do as a smaller person you uh-huh. do better in an airplane right yeah yeah except i mean i do sometimes have trouble i mean getting my suitcase in the overhead bin. oh yes the overhead and then bin i thing. hate having to and i try not to ask but sometimes it's like it's gonna fall and hit someone on the head or men just come and help you and you're like yeah, oh don't, don't do that but actually but do that <laughs> please <laughs> 
Thanks a lot. Yes, overhead bins, totally sexist. Or is it just that we don't have enough, like, grapple power? Do no, it's like, more? it's reach. It's reach. Uh-huh, uh-huh. At least for me. Yeah. Let's vote on this one. Is the entire infrastructure of America sexist? No, that wasn't the question. <laughs> are lockers are lockers in women's gyms sexist? Because nobody ever thought to lower them a couple of inches. Oh, they did think and they said, no, let's, let's make these women suffer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is a 10 for me. Yeah, total 10. Oh, I think it's more like a 7 or 8 um, because I, I – think we're relying heavily on anecdote you know <laughs> I, I'm trying to picture the lockers in the gym where I go and I can't exactly remember whether they're sexist or not I don't know and I don't have a lot of exposure to <laughs> gym lockers so I'm not really sure <laughs> given an average of nine next one it's not so much is it sexist because really I already know the answer but I'm looking for absolution it is absolutely anti-feminist and anti-sisterly of me. But every time I watch Sarah Huckabee Sanders brief in the in the West Wing in the press room, my claws come out and I absolutely go bonkers. It's not just the ridiculous things she says, but it's also, forgive me, the way she looks. It's the makeup and the fake eyelashes and the the, the demeanor and the hair. I know. I just it's it's terrible. But somehow I can't help myself. I don't think I'm alone. Can we please have absolution? And why is it that this just creates such a visceral response? <laughs> Tell me I'm not the only woman in America feeling this. That's so awesome. Yeah. All right. So I think that um, it's not necessarily sexist. And here is my logic. So you can hear this sort of like disgust, the visceral disgust in her voice. But here's the reason why I'm not sure it's sexist, because I don't think that there's a special dispensation that for women always have to treat everything like a sisterhood, because you would probably do the same thing for a man. Like you, you might look at Jared Kushner and be like, oh, his hair and the and his suits and his name, you know, whoever. You might look at one of the, the Trump sons and say the same thing. Like we do when we are politically at odds with someone and viscerally politically at odds, we tend to go to that place of petty disgust and visceral disgust. And I don't think it's something we do always with women. So why do we have to beat ourselves up for essentially not, you know, being kind to all women? That seems like just another thing women have to do that men don't have to do is be kind to every single person because they're a woman. Because all judgments on appearance are harder on women because Mm -hmm. women are judged on their appearance. Like, I actually think it's super unbecoming in general for liberals to like immediately reach for the easy, um, you know, in in the case of Donald Trump, the cheesy uh, joke about appearance, like mm-hmm. everyone calls him an orange Cheeto, right? Like, I think it's just like there's so many, you know, and, and it's not even funny when right. we make jokes about uh, the appearances of right wing people. Like, like, I don't know. I think it's it's really seeing the high ground. And imagine if you were reading Breitbart and they and they do this, right? Yeah. Like, and they talk about the appearance of Nancy Pelosi or whatever, Liberals are horrified. And yet we're doing the same thing with Sarah Huckabee Sanders. I don't think you have to like Sarah Huckabee Sanders. I think you can be like grossed out by the, you know, the things she says in front of the platform. But like and I, you know, I don't think that you necessarily need to police your own visceral reaction. But like we should know that it's sexist and that it actually uh, takes the higher ground away from liberals when we we do stuff like that. And and I think, you know, the 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 caller knows this the caller mm-hmm. feels it in herself and i i recognize that feeling and you know gay people talk about internalized homophobia 
or how sometimes when you're just mad at someone and you just feel like you're not in touch with your better angels and you just want to lash out, often the thing that you say is the thing you feel worse about in yourself. And I feel like there's something, it is the same. Like I agree with Noreen that we, I, I find it distasteful when we liberals comment on our political opponent's appearance because we should be better than that. And and I also take your point, Hannah, that, that we don't, are we asking too much to always be sisterly and to, to just always go high when they go low? But I just kind of feel we, we should. At the same time, I totally recognize what Loretta is talking about. Um, but I just think that it's something that you kind of should do inside your head and wrestle with and try to be a better person. And it's just something that's that like our ids want to do. But yeah, it is definitely sexist. Well, and actually, Sarah Huckabee Sanders is kind of bucking the conservative appearance standards. You know, she's not sort of a, a Fox News blonde. She's a she, she's kind of, you know, there have been mean articles written about how yeah. she's like sort of Ann Taylor kind of mom look. But she isn't she in some ways we should be applauding her for not kind of kowtowing to that imagined ideal. And you remember when Scaramucci in his 10 days in power said when he was had a com- you know a press conference with her said, "Hey, you're looking great. Like keep doing that with the with the makeup and the hair." Like Ugh. screw you. So, you know, she definitely gets unfair attention for this and yet we also do it in our heads as well. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys think we shouldn't do it to men either cuz it's always going to boomerang against women? I don't so you th- shouldn't yeah. ever, you know, Paul Ryan and his workout whatever. There's a whole Paul Ryan zine with him like naked on the zine. Like, but Paul Ryan and his workout, that's this weird vanity yeah. thing. I weirdly I think vanity is is on the table, but if you were just to say I hate that Paul Ryan's like nose or whatever. I don't know what Paul Ryan's nose looks like, but but yeah, I don't think we should we should do like pure appearance things, but but sort of, you know, vanity yeah yeah and i mean when when you fat shame donald trump it's still fat shaming it's still something that like it's just not it's not a pleasant thing to do it's not a nice thing to do and yeah. so i don't think we should do it for anyone i certainly don't think we should do it for men it, it is this kind of thing is definitely harder for women but you know we shouldn't give men these complexes as well it's like an immature response that we're yeah. all having and of course people are you know visual and and think about things in physical physical terms but yeah sorry then no absolution <laughs> for you <laughs> Hannah will give it to you yes. it wasn't an is it sexist it was like do we give you absolution and i think it's a, it's like a resounding no i'm sorry we understand no completely absolution. but yeah we can't give it to you <laughs> i think you have a lot of company though yes yeah. Well, thank you, listeners. Um, There were a lot of great questions we didn't get to, but we'll have another call-in show. Now, let's do our recommendations. June, how about you? Before I get to my recommendation, I just want to say a word about another Slate podcast, The Gist with Mike Pesca, which comes out every weekday evening. The Gist is a daily news and opinion podcast. You can think of The Gist as a curated op-ed page, but with more jokes and with more Pesca. Look for The Gist every weekday evening. And now my other recommendation this week is, well, now before before I really get into this, I have to say that I've only listened so far to a third of this podcast, but that's because we are taping a week early and that means it's going to be three weeks until we do our next taping. And by the time by the time that rolls around, this podcast will have been superseded by many other episodes. But uh, for what I have heard so far, the unorthodox episode about nose jobs uh, is incredible. It is unorthodox, for those who don't know, is a podcast uh, from Tablet Magazine, 
a magazine about Jewish life in America. And um, Unorthodox is a kind of no-holds-barred discussion uh, type of show. And in wrestling with the nose job, um, it's really interesting to hear them discuss it as what to some people might seem a quintessentially American thing. Um, the Israeli member of the podcast team is is so completely like, you do what? It's a what? It, it's, it's, it's wonderful to hear his response to this. And the podcast uh, looks at many aspects of the whole nose job question. And I have thus far found it fascinating. Yeah, nose jobs were a big thing in my youth. All the Jews had them. That, that, well, the, the, the first third uh, really talks about that moment of like, Around 16, where people, uh, you know, go away for spring break and come back with a nose job. Right, right, right. That was a Jewish thing. Alas. Um, All right. Well, I am going to recommend a great novel I'm reading called Men Without Women. It's uh, by, it's it's short stories by Haruki Murakami. Mm. And... um, uh, it's really great. It's a slim book. It's a great gift book. It's, 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 um, there's like, it's, it's a book about how, I mean, it's about Japanese couples. It's translated. It's not just couples, but how there's, there's, in, in all the stories, there's this vast space between the men and women. Like they don't really know each other. They don't seem to know each other. They keep secrets. But then there's this reaching across the vast space in this interesting way. Like it's this like yearning, like I want to understand, I want to understand, I want to hate, I want to love. Anyway, it's a really, it's a really great series of short stories. So buy it for your loved one if you screwed up on your Christmas presents. <laughs> All right. Uh, Noreen, what do you have? Um, I'm going to recommend a cookbook. I know I do this a lot, but um, cookbooks are great, especially in the winter when you're trying to kind of hibernate around the holidays. You might be cooking for more people than usual. Um, this is a pretty new one called Dining In by Alison Roman. And I would characterize the cuisine as sort of like Bon Appetit Modern. She used to work at Bon Appetit as like a recipe developer. She's sort of a Instagram star that makes her sound way more annoying than <laughs> she is. She's got a nice sprightly voice as a writer. And the food is just kind of like how I like to cook. It's sort of like Otolenghi inflected, but not totally. It's it's light, but not diet food. It's vegetable. It's like savory breakfasts and sweets that aren't too sweet. Um, I'm going to actually take it home over the holidays because I want to cook in my mother's kitchen, which is more spacious than mine. <laughs> and I'm going to try to convince my family that instead of a Christmas ham, we should have a roast chicken with anchovy and butter. So we'll see how that goes. But Dining In by Alison Roman. Can I ask a question? And I am so not a cook, but whenever I go to people's houses who are cooks, and for example, I love Ottolenghi food, but it seems like they spend about half an hour just <laughs> chopping. Yeah, And I just can't ever imagine myself doing that. Um well, How you know, is Alison Roman on the chopping. Uh, well, you know, anything, anything you're going to have to chop, but not for like an hour of these various like. Well, this is these are like you know sort of many of these are like occasion recipes that aren't out of control. Like Julia Child, you must be precise. Yeah, yeah. They're like you know you're having friends over, but she does have sort of salads that you might cook for yourself. But my recommendation for the chopping hour is podcasts, guys. Mm. That's what that's when I listen to my podcasts is when I'm cooking. And I would say Otolenghi. Middle Eastern food is chop heavy. Yes. Like it is, you're doing a lot of chopping. That's not true of every single kind of food, but Otolenghi being trendy now, you do have to chop lots. I mean, my youth was, you know, being in Israel, like there's just a lot of chopping, like chop salad, (laughs) chop this, chop that. It's a lot of chopping. Well, you know, that's actually Uh, what we do for our Christmas Eve dinner now in our family. We cook from the Jerusalem, the Otolenghi Jerusalem cookbook because we got sick of sort of, you know, ham and potatoes and and, uh, Jesus was, (laughs) Jesus was huge in Jerusalem. So it's actually really fun and everyone gets, comes around and, and chops and mixes. 
next year. What do you cook? Uh, Do you make various things? I mean, you know, we've we've done sort of a clementine um, uzo chicken a few years. That's a good one. We're trying to figure out what it's going to what like the lamb meatballs. I think I did last year. I don't know what we're going to do this year. We have to do it every year we say we're going to do the seven fishes and every year we're we're like no we can't we can't do it (laughs) um that's really fun that's cool okay well that's our show for today thank you to Verilyn williams the producer of this podcast uh thank you to daniel schrader production assistant for putting the calls together and thank you listeners for calling in and sending us just fabulous fabulous questions for june and noreen i'm hannah rosen i hope you enjoy your holidays and we'll see you again in two weeks